Well, good morning, everybody. Great to be here with you. I want to say good morning and welcome to those of you who are joining us by video right now. I'm really glad and I'm really grateful that all of us, whether by video or here in this room, have this opportunity to, to be together and to grow in the experience of sharing life together in Christ. I'm glad and I'm grateful for you. You know, this last week has been actually a big moment, a big week in the life and story of our church family. Last Sunday, after worship, in a very large congregational meeting, by a large majority, our church voted to rename itself, to adopt the name Community of Grace Lutheran Church. And I know that's something that we weren't entirely unanimous on, and, but yet I want to say that while there may be some disagreement among us, I, I, two things I want you to know. The first is that the purpose of that is something that we all can and are called to embrace. The purpose of communicating the gospel and the character of God's church clearly to people who aren't even here yet. And I also want to just acknowledge this. There's going to be a transition period. Like when you came in today, did you notice that the sign said First Lutheran and that the logo in the carpet said First Lutheran and that your bulletin says First Lutheran? And that's going to go on for a few months yet. It just takes some time in that transition period. So you can expect that it'll be into the new year probably before we're really ready to publicly begin operating as Community of Grace Lutheran Church. And in the meantime, though, I want to invite you that this isn't, uh, you know, this isn't waiting time or dead time. This is an opportunity that we have, just like we had last week and the week before, to pour energy and enthusiasm and passion into living as a community of grace, as we have for over 100 years already, and will long until the future, until Jesus comes back. And we can commit ourselves to that in the meantime also. Now, it's actually kind of a good fit that I'm talking to you about this thing about communicating the character of our church today, because that's also our topic for today. It just so happens that we're learning in our series called Ancient Roots about the character of the church. This series called Ancient Roots is an exploration of this ancient summary, this ancient teaching of the Christian faith that's called the Apostles' Creed. It's a, a summary of the Christian faith that's been shared, that's been spoken by Christians in every time and place, that every Christian everywhere has agreed with. All churches have shared together in this. And today, the line that we're coming to is a line about the work of God calling together this crazy community of people that has come to be called the church. And can we put the line from the Creed up there right now? I want you guys to see what we're going to be learning from today. Now, I want to invite you, if you're ready to say this, if you, if you believe this, if you're here checking things out, you don't have to say what you don't believe. But for those of you who are already Christians, I want to invite you to read this out loud with me together right now. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. Now, for those of you who know the creed already, you might wonder, how did we get to that line? Are we jumping around? Are we lost? Does Pastor Steve forget what the order of the creed goes? How is that? So let me just give you a, 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 like a map for a second. This slide right here is kind of a diagram of the Apostles' Creed. You can see that it's divided. You will see shortly that it's divided into three sections. On, we can go back to that slide. Awesome. The, it's divided into three sections on God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And we spent the first three weeks of this series kind of hitting those three headings so we could talk about the triune three-in-one character of God. And now that you'll see there's details under the second and third sections, especially, actually all three sections. Now that we're in the third section, we're going to go ahead and finish, and we're going to talk about what we believe about the work of the Holy Spirit among us. And then when we get to the end of this month, the end of November, it will be the start of a season of the Christian year called Advent, where we are looking forward to getting ready to celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus. And so then we're going to go back and pick up the second article, the second section of the creed uh, on the details about Jesus. Does that make enough sense? Or if not, do you not even care? They'll just come week by week and we'll figure it out. All right, good. That's the map of where we are. So today we're going to talk about the first thing that we believe 
about the Holy Spirit's work among us, and that is that the Holy Spirit makes a people, that it gathers a community of people following Jesus together that we call the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. And I want to start by saying this. To say that we believe in the church is not an uncontroversial thing to say. That's not something that everybody believes. In fact, a lot of people would go, why would you start there, right? I mean, I've got people in my life who think, well, the, the most, their favorite thing to do about the church is complain about the church. It, it's popular to hate on the church, to see all the church's flaws, to, and, and they're there to see the abuses of power, to see the clergy abuse scandals that have hit all kinds of different parts, all different denominations of Christianity, to see the greed that has characterized the church and the violence sometimes in history, to look at the church on earth right now and see the great dividedness of the church. I mean, I've known people who have said to me, you all can't get along with each other. Why would I want to get on that ship, you know? I mean, there's a, there's a, it's not an uncontroversial thing to say I believe in the church. And furthermore, it's not even just the people out there, right? I mean, you think about some of these things, don't you? I think we, our church is full of people. Many of you are folks who have had bad experiences at one point or another. You've been burned and you've had your doubts about what is this mess called the church. Maybe in your heart you're like, I want to believe in God, but save me from God's people. They're kind of a mess, right? <laughs> I mean, I get that. So when we say, I believe that the Holy Spirit creates the church, that's not without challenges and questions, right? And yet that's also not the whole story. The church has tremendous power for good and has been a tremendously positive experience for millions and millions of people, many of whom are gathered for worship right now in our worship venues, or you're joining me, joining us online right now, right? You've experienced love, grace, acceptance, support, care, friendship in the church. The church in history has contributed mountains of social good, mountains of investment and care for society around us. We could talk about this for hours. People forget about it or like to ignore it, but it's the truth. Let me give you one example relevant to our present experience. In less than a month, our church is going to begin participating in something called Project Home. And I'm not bragging on our church. My point actually is that we're part of a larger group of 24 churches in our area who have said to our county agencies and offices, the homeless shelters are always full. There's always families who are overflowing the homeless shelters, have no place to go. So together, we're going to cooperate and give us the people who have nowhere to go. Give us the families and the children who have no place to sleep at night through the Minnesota winter, and we will open up our buildings to them. And we'll cancel our programs, and we'll rearrange our schedules, and we'll motivate hundreds of people to contribute thousands of volunteer hours to say, there's a place for you. We care. You are not forgotten. And who is it that has done that? It's Christian churches who have done that, right? So the church has tremendous power and, honest to goodness, a long track record of doing lots of good in the world at the same time that there are plenty of black marks on that record as well. The church is a complicated animal. So when we say that we believe in the Holy Spirit creating the church, which is the communion of saints, that, that's a complicated thing to say. And in the time we have together today, I can't resolve all that tension. There's a lot going on there. But I think we have time to do one thing. I think there is both insight and power in our ancient roots. I think there is insight and power in that line that we confessed that we said together today that I think can help guide us, direct us, and empower us to receive the gracious and good work 
of the Spirit of God in our lives and to cooperate with his good work in the world. Let me tell you what I mean by that. To, to do that, I want to zero in on the last phrase that we spoke out loud together, the phrase that was the communion of saints, and in fact, zero in especially on one word in that phrase, on the word communion. And I got to tell you, as I began over the course of the last few weeks to study and prepare more carefully for today, I realized that I'd been missing something. <laughs> I really had something new to learn again. And, and I've said the Apostles' Creed thousands of times. And some of you have too. Many of you have said it more times than I have. And some of you, it may have been like brand new, maybe the first time already this morning. But I realized I had been underestimating something all these times. And what I'd like to do this morning is share with you something that I'm kind of on a learning journey with. I want to invite you into that with me. And in the end, suggest a couple things that I think this might mean for us. Explore with you a couple things that this would mean for the, the character or the manner of our life together. So to do that, here's how I propose that we proceed. I want to share with you three representative examples from the Bible of this word communion. And it turns out that this word is translated and presented and says all kinds of different things that, that I've been underestimating, that I've been missing. I want to show you three representative examples and then suggest some things that I think this could mean for us. So let's get started here. The first one comes from an ancient letter written by a Christian from the first generation of Christians whose name was Paul. He comes to be called St. Paul or the Apostle Paul. He wrote a letter to a church in an ancient Greek city called Corinth, and he was writing to them about how they ate together. He was writing about their meals, and he was writing to them about the holy or sacred meal that we've come to call communion when we share the meal. Let me read this verse to you. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's verses 16 and 17. He wrote, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation, that's the word, by the way, same word as communion, just different here, in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many people are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Now, that verse has come to be translated differently over the years, but that verse in its older version, is actually the reason that when we share communion together in worship, that many Christians call it communion. That's, that's where the word came from. Now, many translations translate it as a participation or a sharing, and it tries to communicate that idea a little bit more clearly. In other words, because we share in Christ, the Holy Spirit has us commune with Jesus, and that means that we commune with each other. Or another way to put it might be, that when we gather together in worship and at communion, we aren't family together because we're so awesome or because we're so much like each other. It's not our affinity for one another that makes us family. It's not our likeness to one another that makes us family. Thank God, right? Rather, it's Jesus who makes us family. I, I think there's a couple of misconceptions that we form, maybe not even on purpose. We come together either for the communion meal that we're gonna share and worship later today or for worship in general, and we sort of imagine that I'm having this private moment, this private vertical moment between me and God. And other people are having the same private vertical moment between them and God just a little farther down the row from me. And other people think of it differently. Other people think, or maybe we think of it just different times, that church is more of a horizontal kind of thing, right? It's a place where we come and we see each other and it's a safe place to build relationships and a good community for our kids and a social service agency maybe. We do lots of good in the world. And both of those things are right, but both of those things are wrong 
if they don't have the other one with them, right? What happens is that the Spirit of God connects us to Jesus, and that connects us to each other. That's how we have the relationships with each other that we have, which is kind of a a mind-bending thing to imagine, really. I'm trying to imagine, like I'm trying to get my head around that. It's It's this mystical thing. It's amazing. It's powerful. It's important. And what does it mean practically? Let me take you to the next verse I want to show you. This is a famous verse. It's a famous summary of the manner of life shared by the very first generation of Christians. It's written down in Acts chapter 2, and it comes right after the story of the very first time that God poured out his Holy Spirit on all the people of Jesus gathering together from everywhere that they were, from all different races and nations and men and women. They're all there, and God pours out his Spirit, and he makes them a community. He makes them a people, and this is how their life is described in summary in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, there's a different, that's the same word, same word, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then in the following verses and in the stories, we find out that what they were doing was sharing all kinds of things. They were sharing meals together. They were sharing the holy meal that Jesus gave them. They were sharing friendship. They were sharing their homes. They were sharing prayer, and they were sharing their stuff Like in the verses that follow, it says that when somebody in the group had a need, somebody else would be like, oh, well, I've got plenty right now, so let me sell something that I've got, and I'll give you something, and we'll just share our stuff. We'll meet one of those needs. And now, although an older way of translating that could be communion, every single English translation that I looked up, and I looked up a lot of them, (laughs) translates that with the word fellowship. Fellowship. Anybody ever seen the Fellowship of the Ring? You heard that before? Anybody? Oh, there you go. The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Maybe you've read the books. Maybe you've seen the movie. In the first part, which is called The Fellowship of the Ring, it's a story of this group. And I was going to say a group of people, except that some of them are dwarves and elves and hobbits and wizards. So let's just say a very diverse group of people from every race and nation, okay, is called together into a group, and they are The Fellowship of the Ring. And they are committed together to a critical common mission. Does this sound familiar at all? And They are committed to one another, even when that commitment to one another is tested by some very hard times, and it is definitely tested, yet they are this fellowship together. And I think in reflecting on that, that we use the word fellowship awfully lightly, right? It's in churches, and I don't think I hear the word fellowship hardly ever outside of churches, but in churches, we talk sometimes about like having a fellowship event, or they experienced some fellowship together. And in my experience, what that usually means is like some light sociability, some interconnection, and that's a really good thing. I'm glad that happens, but it's just only one small slice. It's just a smaller piece of, I think, what is envisioned by this verse, by this biblical teaching when it says they devoted themselves to fellowship. And I kind of wonder if maybe a different word would help us more. And I don't know what the right one is, but I'm kind of thinking about the word partnership, like we're partners in a mission, we're partners in a cause, we're partners of one another, maybe, maybe like partners in a firm or something. Like we've all got skin in the game on this. We're all committed to succeeding in the same mission together, and we will rise or we will fall together. We are partners. Maybe that's the right word, maybe it's not. But here's what I, here's what I think the Spirit was pushing me on as I reflected on this verse and on this lesson about the communion of saints that the Holy Spirit makes among us. 
Most of the time when I read the Apostles' Creed that we're learning from together, when I say that alongside you in worship, what I'm thinking, and I, I think that many of you are thinking the same thing, I think that I think that I'm agreeing with something, that I'm affirming the truth of a statement. I'm agreeing with the statement, I'm agreeing with this idea, I'm agreeing with this teaching, but what if we're not just agreeing with something, what if we're agreeing to something? What if we're agreeing to a commitment? What if we're agreeing to be a fellowship together, a fellowship committed to a common mission and committed to one another, even in hard times? We're agreeing to a partnership where we stand and we fall together because we are the communion of saints. Let me read one more passage with you that I think takes this one step further. The context for this next verse is that this is written by the same guy who wrote the first one we read, the Apostle Paul, but now he's writing a letter to some Christians who lived in the ancient city of Rome, people he had never met before actually writing this letter, and he's writing to them, this is gonna sound a little confusing, he's writing to them, the Christians in Rome, about a monetary gift given by some Christians in Greece to him to carry to some other Christians in Jerusalem, okay? So if you're like map challenged, that might have been really hard. But he's writing about a, a monetary gift that some Christians somewhere else are giving to him to carry to somebody else who's in need. Let me read this verse to you. Romans 15, verses 26. For Macedonia and Achaia, those are the two parts of Greece, you can just say the Christians in Greece, were pleased to make a contribution. Now this will stretch you a little bit. Contribution is the same word. Communion, fellowship, partnership, contribution. What does that mean? To make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. In other words, it's not just a bag of coins or in our context. It's not just ink on a check. It's not just pixels in an account somewhere. It's not just cash in a wallet. But this gift, or, or out of my wallet and being given to somebody else, it's not just a gift of money. Rather, it is the, it is the practical natural, organic, inevitable fruit or product of a spiritual reality. We are a communion. We are sharers with one another. It's as if these Christians in Greece are saying, we are sharers. Why wouldn't I share with you? This is, we are a communion together. This is my physical act of communion to you. You know, I have seen that happen so many times. I have seen that happen in Christian community. I've seen it more times than I can count on an interpersonal level where one person sees the need of another person, realizes they are partners, brothers, sisters, fellows, and shares together and goes, hey, I got plenty right now and you don't. Let me share with you. I'm gonna protect people's anonymity. I'm not gonna share any names or anything like that. I saw it happen this week where that truth was borne out among Christians that I know. And it happens not only interpersonally, but I see it happen kind of through the gathered church also. One of the ways that we do this as a church together through the use of our tithes and offerings at church is through the partnership that we build, and now I'm tempted to say fellowship, or maybe I'm tempted to say communion, that we build with some people in the Haitian village of Susmatla, that we visit at least once a year, groups from our church, and we send resources we share there. And some leaders of our ministry in Haiti put a video together a couple years ago that we played in a worship service. And this is one of the videos that I didn't see before it played in worship, which is you know, sometimes a little nervous for me, right? But they played this video and there was a line in that video that really sat on me in a really beautiful way. And I asked them if they would just clip a little section out of that so I could remind you this morning. So I want you to watch this. And as you watch it, listen for the phrase that talks about the relationship, the communion, the fellowship that we share. Let's, let's roll the video right now. 
This is Haiti, and this is Susmatla, a small town of about 20,000 people, located an hour northwest of Port-au-Prince. Located in a tropical climate, one would think this area would be thick with rainforest, but Haiti's terrain is rugged and mountainous due to mass deforestation and poor environmental controls. The people who make up the populace of this city on a hill rely on God for everything because they have nothing. Just as Jesus makes his family right here in White Bear Lake, part of our family lives 2,200 miles south of here, and we feel called to empower them to succeed in life through Jesus. Did, did you hear it? Not only does Jesus make his family right here in White Bear Lake, but part of our family happens to live 2,200 miles south of here, and we feel called to empower them to succeed in life through Jesus. Jesus makes his family, and where does that power come from? But the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the empowering presence of God in our lives. So we said it a little differently there, but you know what else that sounds like to me? That sounds like we believe in the communion of saints. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. All right, I said this is a learning journey for me, and it is, but I want to suggest a couple things that I think that this truth means for us, and it probably means a lot more than this, but two things. First of all, if we believe in the Holy Spirit's work in creating the community of saints, I think that means that you've got people, that you've got people who've got your back no matter what. I think it means that we believe that it is the work and the will of God, that it is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to gather together a people empowered by the Holy Spirit and characterized by the grace of Christ where you are always welcome, where no matter what you're going through, there are always people who will want to walk with you, who will want to bear your burdens with you so that no matter what you are going through, there are people who are ready to go through it with you and you don't have to do it alone. It is a fruit of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you've got people. And practically speaking, it might be a little hard to figure out how to do in hundreds of people who gather together in big rooms on Sunday mornings. How does that work? There's real value in gathering like this, but there's also real value in gathering in smaller environments. And that's why as a church we value our growth group environments so much because there's just different things that happen in relationship in big environments and small. Some of you are in growth groups already, and if that's where you are, then I think one step that might be your next step in response to this truth is when you meet with your group, like tonight or this week sometime, just turn to them. Like, let them in. Count on them. Depend on them. Tell them the truth. Maybe this is the week to stop pretending that you're really fine, right? This is the chance to tell the truth. And, and this is the time to get over your fear that that's going to make you the needy, dependent one that's just going to suck everybody else's energy because the truth is we're all the needy, dependent ones who need everybody else. And you might just be the first one to have the courage to break the dam and let everybody else do the same thing. Maybe, maybe that, if you're in that environment, is the place where you're at because you've got people who've got your back. And maybe others of you are not in one of those growth group environments yet and for you, the next step might be just to find your way into the kind of relationships where you can live and receive and experience the beauty and power of being part of the Holy Spirit-created communion of saints. And you may already know, man, I know how I'm going to do that. I know what I'm going to do next. And, but if you wonder, how am I going to do that next? Or you want some help with that? 
That's, we have a next step lunch next week. It worked out really well, that timing. <laughs> and the reason that we plan that from time to time is to help people find ways to get more deeply connected inside of our church family. So that might be a step for you. The first thing I think that this means for us is that you've always got people who've got your back. and You don't ever have to go through it alone. And the second thing that I think it means for us is not only do you have people, but you are the people. We are the people for each other, right? The communion depends on you. The partnership depends on your partnership. We are the people that other people have got, just like they are the people that we've got. And when we together confess that we believe in the communion of saints, we might not only be agreeing with something, we're actually agreeing to something. And the next time that you say that out loud in worship, maybe that's the moment for that week. Maybe that's the moment after a longer buildup. Maybe that's the moment that God's been getting you ready for to step up somehow. Maybe it's to step up in some kind of generosity, like the example that we read about in the Bible today or talked about in some of our lives. Or maybe it's a different way. Maybe it's to step up in service to somebody else and be there for them. Maybe it's a way of participating in some of the ways that we together as a church try to contribute care and social good in our world. We've got all kinds of opportunities coming up in this next season. We got a diaper drive going on. Did you guys see that tiny little truck out front, the diaper drive with that little tiny baby on the poster? Over the course of the next few weeks, we're aiming to collect 80,000 diapers to supply five different agencies in our area that serve families in vulnerable situations. And we can serve the world that way. We can, we can be people for people. We got Project Home coming up. I mentioned that earlier. Signups are opening up soon. We got that trip to Haiti is coming up, and I'm pretty sure you can still get involved if you want to. Lots of ways to get to participate in that. If we are the communion of saints, then you don't ever have to be, you don't ever have to do it alone. You don't have to bear your burdens alone. You've got people, and you are the people. Now let me finish real quickly by celebrating one more truth about the communion of saints that we're going to celebrate together in worship in just a few minutes, and that's this. It is bigger than human eyes can see. It transcends all age. It transcends death. Even death cannot break the communion of saints because our Lord Jesus himself broke death. When we share in the communion meal, which we're going to do in just a couple minutes, we have an opportunity today after you receive the bread and the, and the wine and the bread and the juice from communion to go out to these tables that are in front of both of our worship venues. And you can light a candle there if you'd like in memory of Christians who have gone on before us. And I've got somebody in mind that, that I'm going to light a candle for and remember the light of Christ that has shined in them. And I'm going to remember and I'm going to celebrate that their light has not been extinguished because death itself cannot break the communion of saints. And that our lights shine together. And when they shine together, then our lights shine bright. They shine bright across every generation and they shine bright across every nation around the world. And I believe this because I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, and the communion of saints. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that is at work among us, that draws us together, that makes us a people for one another, that you allow us here and now to experience what you intend for us for all eternity, that you've created on this earth a communion of saints, that even in the midst of our own brokenness, our own weakness, may it point to your power and may it be for us, for everyone here and for those who need you, Lord. May it be a foretaste of the banquet table of the feast that is to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.